everyone on this planet, God also has expectations for you. He expects you to do certain things if you're a Christian. He expects you to do certain things if you're not a Christian. You know, the lost and dying world are doing their job. They're sinning every day, right? That's what they're expected to do. We're, we're supposed to stand out and be different. So if we're sinning every day, we're not different, right? And it led me to this final thought. Um, because ultimately, you know, after God dealing with me on this same subject and then me reading that and all these thoughts coming to my mind and all these scriptures pouring into my brain when I read it. Um, because this is ultimately what they were saying. Um, And the thought I come up with, the conclusion was, you know, it talks about God loving the believer and the non-believer. We don't have to read the Bible. We don't have to go to church. We just have to believe. So my thought was, if all that separates the believer from the non-believer is the fact that they believe, then the believer is really missing the mark. If all except, if all that separates us, the believers, from the non-believers is the fact that we believe, then we've missed the mark this morning. And it's time to get back on track. Good morning. How's everybody this morning? That's right. A few of us anyway. Um, yeah, I told uh, Brad he already just dropped the mic and we could have went home. Um, it's always refreshing. It's always, uh, you know, good to know that, um, sometimes we get it right. You know, we get, you know, the, the word that he brought this morning ties into, you know, what we're going to talk about a little bit later on. Um, so it just reassures you that God works in all of us all of our lives and, uh, you know, and deals with, with all of us and in a lot of the same ways and a lot at the same time. So, um, you know, I didn't call Brad and tell him what I was preaching on and he didn't tell me what he was doing in devotion. And I usually don't ask what anybody does as far as devotion or, or preaching. But if you can just stand back and pay attention to what's going on around you and listen and, and you will figure a lot of that stuff out. Uh, you'll see God work in your lives whether you realize it or not. Um, but before I get into any of that, I'll start preaching and we'll skip, you know, all kinds of stuff this morning. Uh, I don't think there's any announcements uh, for November. Uh, I'm sure uh, by the time November gets here, we'll, uh, we'll have all kinds of stuff to do. Uh, it's been busy the last uh, couple months for sure. Uh, I will say this, that the trunk or treat went great. Um, I'm not gonna lie. When I when I we were kind of late coming to it, me and Cody, and, and I'm not gonna lie. When I pulled up and I got about halfway here, and you could see all the people, you know, flooding. You know, it looked like uh, they were going to Disney World, or you know, they had the county fair set up here. I I, I started just like, oh, well, that's, that's, turn around and go back. <laughs> it was it was a little overwhelming. I I don't know that I've ever seen any uh, or that amount of people in Faultful. Uh, for anything, I mean, it even beat you know court days, you know how you know busy it gets. So that's a good thing. 
Um, so yeah, we had a good time. Uh, some of us had way too good a time. Uh, you know, we had some uh, younger kids, individuals that uh, jumped off of slides and stuff and got hurt. But, so we had way too much fun. Um, but it was, I mean, I stood out there and made sure we didn't bounce off the rocks for about two and a half hours. Um, didn't get to eat a whole lot of stew. Don't even know who won. Who won? Ruth. Well, I think I did get some of hers. Uh, but anyway, it was it was it was good. It was great. We uh, we got to touch a lot of people, got to fellowship, and that's a lot of what uh, you know it's about. Um, you know, being our part, being being a part of our community, being um, you know a part of each other's lives. Um, you know, it's easy to get caught up. It's easy to get uh, busy and, and overlook a lot of things. Um, before we get started, uh, we're gonna, I'll bring up uh, some prayers, requests that I want you to be thinking about, be praying about. You know, of course, Ruth's family, uh, you know, Troy and Ruth and Taylor family, um, you know, has had a death, uh, Ruth's husband, and then also Wayne Simmons' brother. Um, so those are the two immediate. Um, you know, we need to lift them up and in, uh, in our time of prayers, we need to keep them, you know, close to heart. I mean, it's a tough time. Uh, you know, even for Christians, it's still a tough time. Um, you know, so again, we just need to remember them uh, in our prayers. Remember each one here. All of us have struggles. I mean, there's no greater place than to bring and, and leave your struggles. Is here today. I mean, I know a lot of times as Christians we get caught up and we don't want to do this, we don't want to say that, uh, we don't want to mess up the rhythm and the routine of, of church. Uh, we try not to worry about that as much here. Um, but again, um, there's all kinds of things that we can come together and pray for, pray against, uh, and pray in agreement of uh, so that there's the greatest weapon we have is, is the prayer. Um, i seen a um, thing on a sign, a local church around here is talking about worrying. He said, well, worrying can do something for you, or to you, and prayer can do something for you. So, I mean, it's pretty simple, but it's, it's truth. And that's, that's part of the whole truth. That's not just part of a little bit of the truth. Um, but again, um, I guess everybody will... Uh, bow their head, we can get ready for our, I'll pray over our offering and uh, the prayer request we got. Um, just again, just pray and, and, and pray in agreement, praying together. Father, we thank you for this time here this morning. Father, we, we thank you for, uh, for each one here. We thank you for our family. We thank you for the, uh, your grace, your mercy, your love, Father. Uh, Father, we just ask that, uh, that you accept our time here today, Father, that you uh, stand with us and uh, in, in leading in uh, Ruth's family, Father, that, that you're delivering peace uh, this morning, Father. Uh, Father, we ask you to be with the Simmons family this morning, that, that your guidance and peace is there, Father, that, that uh, your wisdom overcomes all, your, your love uh, conquers everything, Father. Uh, what will get us through these times, Father, is the love of Jesus Christ, Father, the sacrifice that he made, Father, so that we shall and we will have victory, Father. And, Father, I ask that you accept our offering here today, Father, that we give it a, a free will, Father. We give it out of, out of love and not disobedience, but out of love, Father, that we don't 
do it begrudgingly, Father. We, we hand it over to you, Father, because it's yours anyway, Father, and to, to use and to multiply your kingdom here today, Father. And all these things we ask in Jesus' holy and precious name. So we said, Amen, Amen. Y'all come forward. anxious this morning to get started i don't know we got a few kids i guess uh we can turn everybody loose for our children's service yeah we got a few This morning we're going to talk a little bit about, um, and we're going to tie it in. Of course, the title would be Eat, Drink, and Be Merry. Uh, not Mary, but Mary. Uh, Mark's, I sent it to Mark yesterday, and he uh, he put it in online. But again, it's not Mary. We're not talking about Marion. We're talking about Mary. So, so happy, joyful. Uh, depending on what um, translation of the Bible, I just now noticed that it said Mary. Uh, but anyway... How many times have we heard people say, uh, you know, really, just like Brad was talking this morning, that really all we have to do to be a Christian is, is to, you know, be, be uh, eat, drink, and be happy. Uh, we, we gravitate a lot around happiness. Uh, we've got to be happy about everything. Um, you know, everything we do has got to be about happy. It's got to about, be about me. It's got to be, I'm not going to do anything that doesn't make me happy. Well, the problem with that is it's just not realistic. The other problem with that is getting caught up and being self-serving to the point that that's all we focus on. Now, there is some truth in that, and there's lots of places in the Bible that it talks about just that, not worrying, uh, you know, different things about not being anxious, about, you know, really all we have to do is, is to eat and drink and be joyful. Uh, there's nothing more than that. You know, it talks about being content. It talks about um, uh, not getting caught up in the world because what happens when we go past that? What happens when we, when we go that extra step? We get caught up in all kind of uh, vanities and, and different things. Ecclesiastes 8.15, it says, So I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, uh, which God gives him under the sun. So again, you know, this is Solomon. If you think about the book of Ecclesiastes, we've been reading Proverbs, and we've been talking about Solomon on Wednesday nights for quite some time. Um, there's not anything that you will go through in life that Solomon don't talk about. 
Not, not one thing. And in Ecclesiastes, this breaks it down a little bit further and tells it from, uh, you know, a human aspect. I mean, Solomon tells you what he has witnessed in the world, which is the same things, you know, if you read it, that we, that we witness, that we deal with every day. Things that's happened to us, things that we see going on in the world, things that, that, that are all leading to what our pastor was talking about this morning. I mean, we're getting closer and closer to those times. Well, just like in uh, chapter 8, when, when uh, you know, they're talking about uh, the children of Jerusalem and uh, where they're at, where they're, they're at mentally, physically, and, and even spiritually, it's kind of where we're at today. You know, we talk about, well, you know, everybody that's been in church for the last, you know, 2,000 years has been saying we're getting closer and closer to that end. We're getting closer and closer to that day, that, that judgment day where Christ is coming back. But I can tell you today, we are closer. We're especially closer than we were 2,000 years ago. But again, we get caught up in, in the wrong attitudes. And the vanity that he's talking against, um, you know, in Ecclesiastes and in chapter 8 is, is vanity. Um, so it's... Uh, uh, the vanity he's talking about is power, popularity, prestige, and pleasure. Right? I mean, and that's what we're all about. We're all about power, popularity. We're all about prestige, what we look like. We all want more power. We want to be popular. Everybody wants, we want everybody to be our friend. We want to fit in whatever clique it is we're in, or that we're not in, in most cases. And then prestige and pleasure. So we all want to be pleasure in everything we do. But that's not what he was talking about. That's not what Solomon was talking about when he talks about being uh, satisfied with, with eat and drink and be merry. That's not. That ain't even close to what he was talking about. That's just how the people were thinking in that time. You know, God called for them to mourn, you know, before they were uh, overthrown and taken over. Uh, you know, he called for weeping in the morning, and, and what they did is the same things that we do, the same things that I do from time to time. As I said, well, you know what, really what God means is, is I just need to eat, drink, and be merry because, you know, might die tomorrow. Well, that's oversimplified. So think about what we do when we say that. Think about what happens around you. Now, honestly, in, in the church setting, we're not like that. You know, we eat, drink, and we can be merry. But what happens outside these walls, outside something that we, we, we are called together, we gather together? Think about how many parties went on last night for whatever name's sake. I mean, you know, we're, we're close to Halloween. Think about what all went on last night at all the Halloween parties that were had throughout the state, throughout the country, throughout the world. Think about what went on. Think about how many Christian folks were there. Would you known that they were Christian folks by being there? Again, that's not what Solomon is talking about. He's warning us against that. He's warning us exactly against that type of behavior, that type of mentality, that type. But yeah, but it makes me happy. Well, can I tell you this morning that, that when I was living on the other side of the tracks, when I was following somebody other than God, when I was following the world, everything I did made me happy. 
right? Now, I helped some people, obviously, but I heard a lot more. But at the end of the day, I was happy. So where do we get what is governed from what we do? You have to get it from somewhere. You're either getting it from the world or you're getting it from God's Word. I mean, I can tell you it's easy to say, uh, well, you know what, I'm going to have church and I'm going to have church at home. Just like Brad was talking about. How many of us can sustain that? I mean, think about it. Think about how hard it is to just get together in God's house. Think about how many things jump in front of you. I mean, you know, I take a lot of, of, of pride and a lot of time and a lot of effort, and I force myself a lot of days. And thank God my wife encourages me the days that I don't want to go. And I hope I encourage her the days that she don't want to go. But think about how many things can jump in front of us. I want you to think this Just think for a moment. Why is it so hard to get to God's house? Why is it so hard to do the things that God commands us to do? It ain't hard to do the things that the world wants us to do. Therein lies the answer. That's what Solomon has been talking about from the beginning of time. This is what God has been telling you. This is what Jesus tells you. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. But this is what we're battling every day. This is what Adam and Eve battled and failed. Every day. Think about how hard. Think about how many people you see here on any given Sunday and then how many people you don't see here. Why is it so hard? And you say, well, hey, brother, I missed you at church. And then before you even, and you're just saying, I missed you at church. I didn't see you at church. Or, or whatever, how long does it take them to give you an excuse as to why they wasn't at church? How long does it? But again, we as Christians were called uh, to a different beat, to a different, from a different step. From God's perspective, our life takes on meaning, um, causing Solomon to explain in uh, Ecclesiastes, to exclaim, eat, drink, rejoice, be happy, this is the key. Being happy, doing good, um, live joyfully, fear God, keep His commandments. Right? How many times have we used, well, you know, God wants me to be happy. 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 But does He want you to be happy and break every commandment He ever gives you? Has anything changed in 2023 from the time the commandments was given? So God wants me to be happy, but it's easy to be caught up in the world, and that's what Solomon's talking about here. That's what he's talking about in, in chapter 8. Is This is not what God's telling you to do. By no means does this verse mean, uh, you know, gluttony. Uh, by no means does it... Does it mean uh, being uh, drunkenness? And no means does it mean get all your happiness from that. That's not what God's saying. That's not what Solomon is saying here. He's saying do everything you do, but do it by keeping God's commandments. And by keeping God's commandments, that should be where you get your joy at the end. 
Everything we do, and if you don't this morning, and guess what? There's lots of times I can do great things. Do you think I got 100% of joy standing out here Wednesday night for two and a half hours yelling at all y'all's kids? <laughs> huh? And it would have been my kids, but they're too big to get up there. So, right? But again, I didn't necessarily get a joyful feeling from that. But God's Word tells me to serve. God's Word tells each one of us to serve. Not ourselves, and that's what he's talking about, the vanity of life. The vanity in everything we we come in contact with. And it's so easy to get caught up in that. You know, one reason and and one aspect that, uh, that... that makes it easiest for us to get caught up in it is comparing our lives to one another. I mean, Solomon even talks about it. He said, you know, it's kind of funny that I see righteous people uh, being mistreated, even punished even. Don't we see that here? I mean, think about it personally. I mean, I talked to a gentleman this week and and I said, you know, the tough part about being a man is we leave ourselves exposed. Your feelings are going to get hurt, and then we're going to volunteer to have that done on a daily basis. But is that not what it's like to be a Christian sometimes? Does it not seem like we're, 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 we're being punished, we're being mistreated? But kind of like Brad said, this is where we come together, all of like mind, all of like spirit all of, of, of the same purpose and the same goals so we can go out through the week and be hurt. Let me tell you, the only way you're not hurt is if you're not doing anything for God. Have you noticed that? You know, when I was drinking and doing drugs and, and, and living the life of hell and, and, and following the world and all these things, you know, my feelings never got hurt. But the minute I start trying to do right, it's like people are just stomping on them all the time. Right? I was telling this gentleman, I said, you know, that's the tough part about being a man. Is, you know, we need to learn how to be content with what we have. We need to learn how to accept and move on and move past and not wear everything on our sleeves. We have to be tough. We have to be tough for ourselves. We have to be tough for our families. We have to be tough for, for our friends. We have to be tough for our community. We have to be tough for our state. We have to be tough for our country. And it is. It is tough. Let me tell you, as a man, and there's a lot of married folk and, um, out, but as a man, these young men coming up, you are the spiritual leader. I want to say that again. You are the spiritual leader leader you will be the spiritual leader you shall be not because I say but because God says that's by design so if you're not the spiritual leader in your house then now's your time to change you have no excuse past today as to why I'm not doing what I'm called to do and it's also ironic that in a lot of churches and, and a lot that I've preached at over the years, you see more women than you do men. I see lots of women. 
I don't necessarily see a man beside him all the time. Where's the man at? Chances are he's not the spiritual leader in that house. Let me tell you, it's hard to be that. That's just another thing that God's called us to be better and to be a step above. I know when I started going to church and I got saved, of course, God called me to preach relatively quick after that. And I, of course, I didn't know how to do any of it. And I'm still, uh, I'm still working on that. I had a lot of good teachers. One of them's in the back of the church. But I'm going to tell you some difficult things about being a man of God. I can remember right after I got called to preach, I was at church, and I told the pastor the church I was attended uh, at that point, and it seemed like a week or two later, you know, he stood up, and, and he goes, uh, uh, you know, of course, he is at the end, end of the service, and, you know, we always dismiss in prayer, just like, you know, we do, you know, and everybody does, right? And so I'm standing there, and I, you know, I was just standing there. You know, I'm waiting on the pastor, you know, to, to say a prayer and dismiss us. Well, you know, the people kind of looked off, and, and he kind of nonchalantly pointed at me, wanted me to do the prayer. And I'm like, well, of course, my eyes got big, right? My eyes got big, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Why is it so hard? Think about it. We can do all these things for the world, but when we start doing things for God, it gets hard. It gets difficult. We get ashamed. We get scared. All right, so that was that's one thing, and all of us has experienced it, but think about it at, at home. So who prays at home? You know, who blesses your food? When's the last time you prayed for your wife? When's the last time your wife prayed for you? When's the last time your wife asked to be prayed for? When's the last time you asked them to pray for you? When's the last time anybody laid hands on you? When's the last time anybody asked you to lay hands on We overlook. So many aspects. And why do we do it? Because it kind of feels weird, right? The first time somebody says something, the first time, um, you know, I can remember Luke got sick one time when he was camping, and, and he was. He was throwing up all over the place. Christian had done got sick, and it was just kind of bouncing. And then, of course, me and Jenny ended up sick. And, I mean, but it just didn't feel natural. Why didn't it not feel natural to lay hands on my son? And pray for them. But it feels natural to do everything else. I mean, think about how natural and how easy sin creeps out of us. I mean, the Bible tells us that once we're born, we're only a few days away from. Right? Anything God's going to have you do, the devil's going to try to make you get your feelings involved in it. Just like, you know, the, the half-truths um, that we latch on to in the Bible where it talks about being merry, talks about being happy, talks about being joyful. See, the devil's good with that. He's like, yeah, well, I want you to do whatever makes you happy. But we forget what Solomon's talking about. We forget what God's talking about. We forget what Jesus has told us, that I want you to be happy. I want you to find joy only by doing good. Only by doing what God commands us to do. We have overcomplicated what God's will in our lives is. God's will in each one of our lives is to serve one another. 
to love one another, to love Him above all. And if we can focus more of that love on God, then it overrides and overtakes and gives us the motivation and the desire to get past the worldly problems we have in front of us. This man I was talking to, he's having problems. And, and of course, you know, what kind of problems do we have? I mean, once you get a certain age, it's got to do with one of two or three things. It's either spouse or it's significant other or kids or it's, you know, whatever, drugs, alcohol, what. I mean, there's only a handful of high-priority things that, that the devil uses to destroy our lives. So again, while I was talking to him, I was like, well, look, man, I said, it's what what God has commanded you to do. You cannot do anything other than what God has commanded you to do. He goes, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I mean, he's a man relatively the same age as me, a few years older, and he's probably a lot nicer person than me, and he's a lot smarter. And I said, well, how do you not know what God wants you to do? I said, you grew up in church. I said, we've talked a lot over the years. I know I know you have a knowledge of the Bible. How do you not know what God wants you to do? So the world's creeping in, and his emotions are getting caught up in it. And so his emotions are wanting him to pull away from what he knows that God wants him to do. God wants you to serve. I promise you, by serving others, by getting caught up in God's ministry, and by doing the things God suggests you do and tells you to do, not even his commandments, all these other things will work out. I mean, it would be great if we lived in a world that everybody was playing by the same playbook. But we know that it does not happen quite like that. First uh, Timothy uh, 6 and 8. It says, in having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. I mean, this is Paul talking. I mean, have you noticed that, that all the themes, all the things in the Bible that God speaks about, it just keeps repeating it over. He keeps repeating them for folks like me that, that can't get it uh, the first time, so we have to read it over and over again. I mean, again, in having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Now, I want you to think about your personal lives. I, you know, I, I deal with it every day. Of course, I've dealt with it for uh, weeks, you know, uh, reading over and over and, and God dealing with me. Am I content with food and clothing? Are we content? I mean, we went to uh, Huntsville yesterday. I was looking for some stuff, uh, you know, for a tree stand. Of course, didn't find it. And, of course, since we were coming back, we had to stop by Larry's, you know, gun because, you know, that's man thing, right? You know, you got to stop the gun. So we stopped by, and we are looking at guns, and, um, and of course, come across this, this AR-308, super light, $890. Bargain. It is. It's a bargain. So there's three of us men standing there, and uh, all of us, I'm surprised we didn't walk out with three of them, because they had like seven. 
But we're like, oh, yo, oh, look how light that is. I said, well, you know, if it was light, I'd have it. So Luke picks it up and hands it to me. I said, oh, that's light. Oh, that's super light. Oh, so now what I got to come up with is light, and that was my only requirement. Brother-in-law was there. He's looking at it. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, that's a nice one. Oh, yeah, it's a Ruger, so it's probably a well-made gun, you know, and this, you know, and it was some kind of blemish. Well, we looked at it trying to find a blemish. There's no blemish. So, again, having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. So look at all the things that pull us away from being content. And you say, well, it's just a gun. I didn't tell you how many I already had. And I didn't tell you, like, two or three months ago, I done bought one. And set it up and, you know, all this. And so, again, with food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Are we content? I'm asking you, are we content? I mean, think about what vehicles. Our vehicles wear out, they tear up, all these things, right? So I look out in the parking lot, and I see a bunch of nice vehicles. Um, you know, they all look like they're fairly recent, and they look like they're in good shape. But how many of us battle that battle? I need a new one. Hmm? Need a new one. What's wrong with the old one? But it's not new. <laughs> right? Need a new one. So I want you to think about it, and I'm sure everybody in this room is in the same category as, as, as I was, for sure. You go by, you buy a new car. Is it not the best thing since sliced bread? I mean, it is great. Oh, you're driving it around. You're driving it around. You're driving it around. Two or three months later, something happens, and that $600 a month you're paying, or seven, or you know, maybe even a thousand now, with what vehicles cost, or whatever it is, something happens, and you need to fix your water heater, or you need to fix your sink, or you get a water leak, or your toilet screwed up, or sewers messed up, or something falls on it, your roof needs replacing, and now you're thinking. Well, I got rid of that car that there was nothing wrong with. Could have probably drove it another five, six, seven, eight years or until the wheels fell off of it. But now, but now, I've got that six, seven, eight thousand dollar a month payment. Plus, now I got to fix my roof and then, or I got to have my, my electrical panel replaced. And I mean, what does that cost? About four grand. And so all these things start happening. So are we content? With what we have, we talk about, well, you know, I pray to God, and, and God, you know, did God tell you to get it? God blesses us in so many different ways. But we just keep wanting blessings, which is real similar to what the people in Jerusalem and the people that, that uh, Solomon was talking to, what they were thinking. Rather than weeping and mourning and being obedient to God, they decided they'd do it their way. Eat, drink. And be merry. They'd take it to a different level. So we talk about God not blessing us, but we keep letting the devil in to block those blessings. I don't have these wrote down, uh, Cole, so don't worry about going to it, but I'm just going to go uh, to the next verse up. It says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. 
right? Which that's the same attitude that if we're not careful, we keep storing these things up, right? We just keep building and piling and on and on and on. I mean, it's kind of like Daddy told me uh, years ago. He come to me and he's like, and this was after a mother passed away. He's like, well, I'm thinking about getting a, a charger or a challenger. I thought, well, yeah, if you can make the payment, wear it out. He goes, well, no. He said, you know, I got some money. I'll just, I'll just go buy it. And I said, well, you might as well. I said, you worried about us? I said, well, now, if you want to keep it, keep it, because whatever you, you know, happens to you and you leave it to me, I, I'm pretty sure at that point in time in my life, I know what I'd have done. I'd have snorted it or drank it up. But I'd have got rid of whatever he left me. Right? So, again, are we content? We can't carry nothing with us. Uh, verse 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So think about it. We always want more than what we got. I mean, it's human nature. I mean, what was the temptation that brought sin into this world? Where did it all start? Where did it all start? God gave us everything. Everything. But it wasn't enough. And here we are so smart today that we think we're still smarter than what God is. We think we're so smart that we don't have to study God's Word, that we don't have to read God's Word, or that we can just repurpose it. So the truth is God wants us to eat, drink, and be merry. But He wants us to do everything else. He wants us to follow his commandments. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to cherish one another. He wants us to serve one 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 another. He wants us to do for one another. So look, it's like I tell everybody, you know, I get a lot of young people coming up and they start talking about and they they talk about getting married, they talk about relationships. And the first question I ask them is say, Well, where are you at with God? Well, you know, uh, I believe in him. Well, yeah, everybody believes in him. The devil believes in him. The devil knows God's real. But where are you at with God? Have you submitted your life to God? Are you living a committed, passionate, purposed life for God? Well, no. Well, then you don't need to get married. Right? If you can't commit to God, then you will not be able to commit to no one. If you can't commit to God, you can't be a good employee. How many has ever had bad employees? Uh-huh. How many has been a bad employee? <laughs> you know, look, that is one of the biggest things uh, and the biggest challenges I continue to have is submitting to God. And it's just submitting to anybody. But we have to keep giving it to God every day. You keep giving. You, until you can't give no more, you give more. Uh, Luke 12, uh, 13. 13 through 21. 
You know, all these things tie together. When you read it, you know, at different times. Um, you know, you don't really make the connection. But it all says the same thing. It's, tie, it's the parable of uh, the rich fool. And others, he says, the rich fool. And all of us, sometimes we say, well, you know what? I'm not rich. But that's what we get into trouble trying to be rich, right? How many of us has worked around people that are successful? How many of them do you know that's, that's happy and is joyful? Not many of them. Not very many of them. It's never enough. Verse 13 says, And one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell, me my, um, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It says, But he said to him, and he is Jesus, says, Man who made me a judge or an arbiter over you. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of the covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Right? The abundance is not what we possess. But how many times do we get into trouble? We want more and more and more. You know how many businessmen I've seen that started off, uh, and I say businessmen, most of them are contractors, which businessmen, building houses or, or doing different things. They started off and they were doing good. They were making, you know, a good living. But what do we always do? Well, if we, can make, if we got a little... And if we do this, we can get a lot, right? And then we just keep stacking it up until we no longer can control none of it and, and the beast grows and grows and grows and then next time we know we're paying out more money than what's coming in. And it says, For the abundance of these things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty, uh, was plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? What shall I do? So the guy's land was great. It was wonderful. It was producing. You know, he had barns. He had all these things. But it's just producing so much. What, what you know, what I need to do? Well, think about it. There's a multitude of things he could have done, Right? Lots of things he could have done. So if I, if pastor's over here and he's got his garden going on and he's just, you know, going left and right, what does he do with the excess? He gives it away. He gives it away, gives it away, gives it away. Now, wouldn't we think pastor was kind of crazy if we come in here one day and, you know, that little old garden he's got over there that can provide for 50 folks, as he come over here and he plowed, all this property back here, behind here. Now, if he was going to feed the whole town, that'd be one thing. But we think, well, something's wrong with Pastor. I mean, he's getting a little ahead. But again, that's where we're leading up to. So, the guy's ground is great, uh, yielded plentiful, and he thought to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now, here's where we start getting into trouble is when we start out. What shall I do? Well, if a little's good, a lot's got to be better, right? Yeah, I mean, think about how many people OD'd on Tylenol. Who would have ever thought something so great, people could actually OD on it, right? Well, if two makes my head quit hurt, if I take ten, it ought to be great, right? 
Not exactly right. So he says, so what shall I do? Pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Uh, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds good, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus said eat, drink, and be merry. But does he mean what this guy's talking about? Does he mean being a glutton? Does he mean being a drunk? All for the sake of having that happy feeling, right? And what is that happy feeling? That's really covetousness, it's greed. It's all kinds of different emotions, and none of them have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and has everything to do with destroying the kingdom of God. And I don't think people understand the severity of that. They just read through and say, well, see, Jesus is talking about being married. Talk about eating and drinking, and yeah, great. Verse 20 says, but God said to him, fool. That's a pretty strong word, ain't it? I mean, we throw it around like it's not, but it's, it's a strong word. But he said, God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So do we understand what happened in verse 20? Go back to verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night you shall, uh, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? That night your soul will be required. I mean, look, we get caught up in a lot of emotions now, a lot of feelings. Well, we can't do this because that's just mean. When his soul was required of him, that's because he's dead. I mean, we understand that. For what? Because he wasn't obedient, because he was greedy. Because he was he was so busy in, in eating and drinking. And then instead of doing something with all his extras, he wanted more. Right? How many times have we said, I'm not doing this because I'm not happy? See how these emotions can get all caught up and they're all so tight together. You know, anger... Happy, greed, covet, um, pride, all these things are linked and tied and intertwined so tight. I mean, the importance there is this night your soul will be required of you, then those, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So his soul was took that night because of greed and covetousness. It says, so, so is he who lays up treasures for himself. So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich and is not rich toward God. But God don't care if you're successful. There's lots of successful Christian folk. I mean, you don't see nobody out there in a 45-year-old rust bucket. I mean, I think we can say that we've been blessed. 
He doesn't care if you're successful. He cares where your heart is. Not how your heart feels. Where your heart is. And God and God alone, a lot of the times, is the only one that knows where your heart is. No one else does. Again, we need to understand the difference between uh, being biblically correct and being caught up in the emotions of the world. I'll finish with uh, this verse, Romans 12. You ain't got this either, Cole. You ain't got to go there. It's Romans 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, And I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of the God, of God, the only God, our one and true God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That's why I'll leave it at this morning. Don't be transformed. Be renewed. How do you get renewed? You back up. You remember something from a time where God touched you. You go back to that place. You know, a couple weeks ago, and it might have even been last week, um, I was talking to somebody and they were talking about forgiveness and, you know, all these things. Um, we have to renew ourselves daily. We study to show ourselves approved for that reasonable service. And that service, do we service ourselves or are we servicing someone else? It's real easy sometimes uh, to get mistaken because, you know, it, the Bible says sometimes, you know, you, you have to make sure you're in the right place before you can help somebody else that needs to be in the right place, right? Just be careful we're not caught up in trying to get ourselves in the right place and then we get overtaken by the world and, and, and the greed and everything that goes along with it uh, that we don't miss the mark. Because at the end of the day, your reasonable service is allowing somebody a way back. You have to allow somebody back. I mean, think about what God did for us. Think about how many times. I can think about in my life how many times God has had forgiven me. And how many more times that he probably will forgive me. I don't wake up every day going, well, what can I do today to have to ask God for forgiveness? I mean, we live in that world where we're constantly challenged in every direction. But the same grace and the same mercy that God gives each one of us, we have to give someone else. You have to give. You have to make that path back. 
You know, the Bible is correct. We can eat, we can drink, and we can be merry as long as we're doing what God has asked us to do. As long as we're not sacrificing God's commandments. Well, the only way you know God's commandments is that you have to be in God's Word to know His commandments and to understand them. Don't listen to things second-handed. Don't get caught up like all the articles that you read. Well, you know, it's got to be true because it's on the Internet and somebody published it and, hey, that's an easy thing to go along with. Again, that's not. Those people will answer for what they do. But we need to show ourselves approved. We need to start. And where does it start? It starts at our houses. It starts in our homes. And no matter if you messed up, I mean, you can ask my my father. Uh, you could ask mother, but she's not here anymore. But you can ask my father how many times I messed up and how many times he let me come back. Right? I mean, it's the same grace, the same mercies I extend to my kids. But it's also the same mercies and the same graces that I extend to everyone. You have to give them a way back. Now, you can still be guarded. You don't have to be a doormat. But I think we're all strong enough that we could be stepped on a few times, can't we? Right? I mean, do we not step on? But we have to give them a way back. And we have to do it with love and compassion and grace and mercy, which is the same grace and the same mercy that saves me. And it saved you. Stand with me.